Welcome to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast. I'm Lisa Fisher, a longtime broadcaster and journalist in Arkansas who's been in front of a microphone or a camera since the 1980s. I think of myself as the queen of Arkansas media. My guest for this episode is Dr. Marianne Cintron. She's a longtime educator and a dyslexia specialist. If you think you or a child has a learning disability, then this is the episode for you. You'll get to meet Dr. Cintron right after this. There is no way I could have a discussion about dyslexia in the state of Arkansas without directing you to the foremost authority in the state of Arkansas on dyslexia. It's the Hannah School. It's Arkansas's first and only school devoted to educating dyslexic students. Melissa Hannah and her team have done amazing things in the few years they've been open. I've interviewed them, I've uh, featured them in a statewide publication where I even won an award about it. That people are so committed to helping. This is what they do. They are committed to changing the lives of these kids. Hannahschool.org, have the link in the show notes, but let me tell you, if you're thinking about a child in Arkansas who's been struggling with reading, You need to find out more about their summer reading success program. It starts June 7th, 2021. Of course, this will air in perpetuity. So in two years, you may hear this and this will be done, but we'll still have the Hannah School. So check out what they do and the way they can change your child's life. HannahSchool.org. She won most talkative in high school and she has been running her mouth ever since. Welcome to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast with your host, Lisa Fisher. Okay, let's start with the very first word we have to define, Dr. Cintron. Tell me, what is dyslexia? Okay, according to the International Dyslexia Association, it's neurobiological in origin, it is a learning disability, and it is seen in a student's inability to read, write, and sometimes speak properly. But I like to rephrase that so people can understand it. Dyslexia is neurological, it's neurological in origin, so the brain can be retrained. And it's more of a learning difference than a learning disability. And it's evidenced in a student's inability to sound words out and their inability to write correctly. And this is something that follows you all through your learning path and into adulthood, correct? It does, and students who don't receive the remediation, um, if they're not reading at grade level by fourth grade, they're at risk of dropping out of high school and going to prison. Two-thirds of the students who don't reach grade level reading by fourth grade um, will be dropped out. So the other third, they're the ones that are the fighters. They're going to fight without getting that extra help that they need. And um, I I know a lot of dyslexic adults who said they wish they had help when they were children because it did beat up their self-esteem, but they either had great parents, they had um, the stamina to fight through it. And um, yeah, so I do know um, an adult with dyslexia, who has dyslexia all through her, her life. In fact, she just passed away. She was my practicum coach. And she said that her dyslexia did go away and she's an Orton Gillingham fellow. She said, but it would it seemed to come back when she was stressed out or tired, overworked. So she realized that if she had a calm 
life and just wasn't overstressed, she thought the dyslexia disappeared. That's a very interesting philosophy because I know there's probably some controversy and we're not here to yeah. argue any of that out. But just the fact that when we first, when I first started hearing about dyslexia, it might've been the eighties and it might've been like Cher and Tom Cruise and John Travolta, these <laughs> yeah. very successful people. But we were first told Dr. Cintron that you know you have dyslexia if you see words backwards. And we now know that that is very misleading (laughs) because if those people, if everyone saw things backwards, no one could drive on the highway, right? That's right. I mean, you you couldn't, really couldn't get around. So tell me some of the tenets that, that kind of show us this is dyslexia. Okay, so when students um, are reading or trying to read that have dyslexia, they're going to glance and guess at the words. So they may get the beginning of the word correct, but not the ending of the word. Um, a lot of times they'll want to leave the room when it's reading time. Mm. I have one little student that I tutor who really has anxiety just reading with me one-on-one. He, his stomach just starts hurting. So a lot of times their anxiety is manifested with stomach aches. There was one child who had to always go to the bathroom. It was his excuse, but his mom thought he had a bladder infection and kept taking him to the doctor and they didn't find anything wrong. And he admitted two years later to his mom, I just didn't want to read. So they feel a lot of anxiety because they're usually in a circle and their peers want to help them out when they can't sound the words out. So they're humiliated. Or the teacher will step in and help them sound the word out when their peers don't need the help. So that's additional humiliation. But I know of um, a man who is a genius and he's a dyslexic genius. And he told me he was in the low reading group and then they moved him to the lower reading group and then to the lowest reading group. And then finally somebody decided we need to give him a test with this test. And he jumped up to the top of the gifted students. So teachers aren't recognizing it. Uh, The other thing when kids write, dyslexic kids write, they're going to um, add and omit letters and syllables. They have a real hard time remembering what was said. So a lot of times you have to say the sentence in parts, whether it's long or short, they have a hard time remembering those sentence strings, string of words. And if they have dysgraphia, which is a writing uh, deficit that also accompanies dyslexia very often, you can't even read what they're writing. And sometimes they have a hard time reading their own writing. So dyslexic children won't capitalize their sentences. They won't punctuate. And it's interesting that they'll try to memorize words. So they might write okay, but they aren't comprehending. And then if you give them, we call them nonsense words or unfamiliar words, um, they cannot write nonsense words. And often they can't write unfamiliar words like G-H-O-S-T, the word conference. If, If it's not a word they could memorize, they have a real difficult time writing it. And that's how teachers can recognize if they have dyslexia. Well, a lot to unpack there. Let's go back to the reading groups. That to me is really setting up failure for kids because doesn't everybody know if you're not a gold star, you're in the lower group? The gold star was always the best group and then the silver, whatever they called them. I mean, don't kids start realizing that you've just ranked them and just told, 
Look, I was picked last yes. for kickball. I got over it because I have a winning personality. Uh, but when it's reading, reading tells you something or it tells the kid it has something to do with their intelligence. You and I know that's not true. You and I right. know that you, we all learn to read differently. And we all learn differently. But what about reading groups? Have they not abolished those yet? Well, they, well what they do now is have centers. So this is where an instructional aide can work with the students in a group. And yeah, they're kind of getting rid of that stigma. But I always try to tell the children we weren't born with the reading brain like we were to see and hear. So reading is a man-made thing. And when you think about, um, we, you, we were meant to learn apprenticeship style, you know, modeling, hands-on, and watching people. And so with the Industrial Revolution, when we got the printing press, suddenly reading became a standard that eliminated 20% of our population. So we need to retrain the brain. And I tell parents, we're not getting rid of your child's creativity. We just want them to read because they need to fill out a job application. I've had adults say they felt like they were lying and cheating having someone else fill out their job application. And we want to build their self-esteem young so that they will discover their gifts and unlock their genius minds. Well, my child who's dyslexic is the one who can figure out, has spatial reasoning, can figure out anything, watches somebody perform whatever task it is and go, here, let me do that. You know, whether it's sewing or a craft or anything. And I've always wondered about <laughs> her brain. And you're kind of explaining that, that she would have done well before Gutenberg and that silly printing press. Look at that, but for yeah. people like me who love words, that's why it was hard for me to communicate with her or to understand. That's how I knew, though, that something wasn't right. But it's because I would say, but I just said that. And her brain couldn't repeat to me what in the same manner I'd said it. In well, fact, and one, oh, go yeah. ahead. I was going to say auditory processing is a big deficit that the kids have. 85% of the students in special ed under specific learning disability have dyslexia. And I would talk to them and their auditory processing is so slow. And I can share with the audience what that seems like. So the teacher might um, give some information and then ask a question. And all the students' hands will pop up except that dyslexic or those five dyslexic children in that class of 25 because it's one in five kids that have dyslexia. So if the teacher answers, lets the student answer the question, okay, everything's fine. Then she asks a second question and all the students' hands pop up, including the dyslexic kids, except they're answering the first question because oh. their mind oh, took a little bit of time I to process see. it. Yeah. And what happens? The class all laughs at them. And, and, and so they're more humiliated. So the, the boys are tending to act out and be little smart Alex and have be, a lot of behavior. The girls are tending to quiet down and go into their corners and not, not raise their hands. So, um, and then the other auditory processing example I give is when I graduated from my first career, which is retail, I was a manager trainee and I was in, in the China and Crystal department. It was wonderful. And my supervisor told me, this, is, this report is due tomorrow. But my colleague, who was also a trainee, interpreted that as this report due it tomorrow. So she was always getting in trouble because she was always late. And I understood 
This is due tomorrow. And I can transfer that into the classroom. You know, the students aren't understanding some of the words the teachers are saying to them. Do it tomorrow. Is it due tomorrow? And the teachers really need to write things on the board. They need to have the students learn to check in with peers. Because when if the student isn't, feel conf, isn't feeling confident enough to ask a peer, when is this due? Or how much have you done? They need to be able to communicate with their peers. And we need to have empathy, first of all, for them, collaboration and cooperation. I've, I've had students do the work and um, they hide it in the bottom of their backpack. And I've even had parents say they found it in the cupboard, the kitchen cupboard, what, in middle school kids. And because when I, I've been back in the classroom for four and a half years before I started this nonprofit, and I loved when I would see a peer student say, I saw Jimmy do the work. I did it with him or I saw him do it because he would have his B dropped to an F, you know, and the parents not even aware, but I was aware. Why is it an F? Where's the work? He didn't turn it in or the parents would say, I know he did it. So we really need that help and support for the dyslexic children with executive functioning skills, which is what they call that, turning the homework in and having, you know, having a teacher that's aware to check off the work in chunks as they turn it up, turn it in in chunks. Instead so is of, the child innately embarrassed about his performance because of what his peers told him or does he know this this doesn't seem like I'm answering this correctly. They're embarrassed. And I even heard a professional say that to have dyslexia, the, embarrass, the embarrassment is this, as if you had um, an incestuous relationship. And that puts it in a whole other realm for yeah. me. That, that was kind of a punch in the yeah, gut there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. I've never shared that with anybody. But I think to have a comparison of how bad it makes you feel, we know that that's pretty bad. That's the untalkable sin, right? So if there is no remediation, no intervention, do some adults then not really know how to read? Right. A lot of adults don't know how to read. And I'm finding that a lot of adults didn't know they were dyslexic until they saw their children struggling and their children who happened to get diagnosed because a lot of the schools aren't diagnosing it still. They're wanting the, the pediatricians to diagnose dyslexia. Oh, But what's really cool, I, I've had pretty much of a paradigm shift uh, this year because I used to focus on closing the achievement gap, stopping the school to prison pipeline. And now my focus is let's unlock the genius of these dyslexic children because their their genius isn't coming out because of their low self-esteem. And we're noticing that dyslexic people really excel in four areas. So these are areas we could steer the students towards. Engineering, entrepreneurialism, <laughs> being entrepreneurs, um, architects, and in the theater, in the arts. So that's where you have your Tom Cruise, your Cher, Henry Winkler, you know, they, they went into acting. So it's interesting how they can memorize lines and roles. I don't know how they do that when they can't memorize the days of the week and the months of the year. Isn't that interesting? I'm just yeah. sitting here thinking about it because engineering and architecture are so visual and spatial learning. 
And that's either something you have or don't, because I don't have it. Right. I don't have the ability. I can't put the phone case back on. You know, I struggle. <laughs> uh, but I, I can spell any word there is. You know, it just shows that we have a hyperabilities and then disabilities, each one of us, right? Because mm-hmm. we, we all have strengths and weaknesses. And I'm sorry that dyslexic kids feel different when they're so gifted. I mean, they're so valuable to our our world, our planet, everything about them. Okay, let's talk about then some of the things that parents might notice at home that they're going, mm, okay. something's not right. Well, first of all, when the children are really young, parents can notice if their children are having trouble sounding words out. Um, like, you know, or I should say rhyming. Rhyming is the first clue if kids can't rhyme three-letter words. I've had dyslexic adults or adults say they their dyslexic children couldn't tie their shoe, had a lot of trouble with that. But now we have a lot of Velcro shoes, so we kind of got away from that problem. But we want to teach the children the beginning sound, the ending sound, the vowel sounds. We want to help them put a picture to an alphabet letter and also by the sound of the letter or the name of the letter. And if kids have a real hard time making those connections, they're going to have a hard time in uh, transitional kindergarten. So the kids are going from preschool to transitional kindergarten into kinder. And then when the kids are in elementary school, a lot of parents may have other kids who could read just fine. And suddenly one child just isn't keeping up. So that's automatically a red flag. Um, and, you know, a lot of times it's genetic. 40% of dyslexia is genetic. So what about the rest of the dyslexia? It's not genetic. It's developmental. If teachers aren't trained how to help kids read, or if a substitute teacher is in the class that doesn't know how to teach reading, those kids are just falling behind. And if they're taught to look at a word like a picture, we threw a whole word out the door because kids were looking at words and memorizing it like a picture, which goes to the right side of the brain. And the research shows that the left side of the brain is the language center. So all these pictures are being stored. And when the student tries to read, they can't retrieve from their language center the right sounds. So those are some things parents can look at, but also they can look at the student's writing and uh, what does their writing look like? Are they adding and omitting letters and syllables? Are they not punctuating? And having some reversals is, it's not the indicator of dyslexia, but it's evident in a lot of dyslexic people. Leonardo da Vinci used to write script backwards. And that was one of his, his trademarks. He is the genius of all geniuses. Yeah. And he said his best pastime was to have somebody read to him. Huh, because it was too hard for his brain. Yeah. Does it wear them out? Does it tire them? It's a very dyslexic tiring. Student? When I'm working with intervention with a dyslexic child, they're tired after an hour. And That's probably it, it, a long yeah. time. Yeah, a yeah. long time, especially to sit still and to focus and to they're going uphill in every battle. And one of the things that's really unique to what I'm doing to help kids read is we use music. So we let them play music in their left ear. My app plays classical music, but middle schoolers and high schoolers can just play their favorite list of music in their left ear while they work. And the research, if it's played soft enough where it's not overtaking the lecture or whatever, but research has shown that 
The rhythm of the music helps the brain anticipate what's coming up next. And it just really calms them down. I, I had a student in middle school who had, dys, he had dyslexia and he had ADHD and he was adopted. So he used to tell the class of 15, I'm adopted, I have ADHD and I have, and I have dyslexia. He said, the riddling calms me down, but the music helps me learn. Isn't and that interesting? Has, yeah. how, then how does that, um, I, I'm so ADD that I would get focused <laughs> on the music that I would have trouble focusing on what you were telling me then. Right. How does the brain separate that? Well, and that's just the dynamics of the brain. I, I'm someone who needs to have it really quiet when I'm studying. But yeah. when I want to go to sleep, uh, I can play soft music. And when I would be during finals week, and I've had lawyers tell me when when they went to sleep, they had to play classical music to calm the brain down. But, you know, it just depends. We're, all our brains are different. Yeah, and I can't right. say that the music works all the time and all the time in the left ear. I would have one student that said, it feels better when it's in my right ear. So I'm like, okay, <laughs> you know. But as long as you're seeing a child continue to work and move forward, um, I would let them listen to music, and that's a real hard thing to bring to the schools because just like when it, when a student might have chewing gum in their individual plan, well, the, all the kids want to chew gum all of a sudden, but they right. can't because it's in his plan. Well, listening to music is in that child's plan, and you know the schools all deal with it their own way, and that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> uh, what about teaching then a child to read? Why aren't we then using the pictures to show the alphabet and the sound so that everybody's, I mean, it doesn't cost any more for the schools to do that. Like, why wouldn't they do that? I know. Um, what we've learned from Sam Orden and Anna Gillingham, who were the pioneers of dyslexia, how to resolve, how to help dyslexic kids, we need a multi-sensory reading approach. So my reading program has nine steps. And because I'm in an Orton-Gillingham practicum, I know that my nine steps are taught with fidelity in compliance with Orton-Gillingham model. So if all students could be taught with a multi-sensory approach where they have hands-on, they're seeing, they're hearing, and they're speaking, everybody would be learning at a good pace. And uh, the thing is, everybody benefits from that because you're working to a child's strength as well as to their weakness. But dyslexic children need it. So if teachers aren't trained specifically to work with dyslexic children with a multi-sensory approach, uh, those students are just fall, fall behind. They're, they just fall through those cracks. Is it ever a situation that you think it's too late? You're too far gone? Well, you know what I, I think is this practicum that I'm in, it's like another credential. And sometimes my I have two credentials and two master's degrees. My credentials were a lot more difficult than my master's degrees. And being in this Orton Gillingham uh, training where I'm going to get certification at the end of the at the end of this year, it's like another credential. And I can't see teachers running back to school to get this other training. It's very rigorous. It takes me three hours to write up my plan after I, I just worked with a student this morning and I recorded it and I'm, it took me, it's taken me three hours to write what my lesson was. And we're not gonna keep up with the need if we're requiring this kind of training. 
And so that's why I love my training. I can train a teacher in a day. They can work with dyslexic children the next day and they get my digital files and they, they can get consultation from me. So I'm able to train college interns, retired teachers who don't wanna go back to school and substitute teachers who are far from getting their credential. There's an easier way to train people and get these kids the help they need. And, and it's just not being be done. All this information about your, it's a 501c3 uh, tax-deductible charitable organization. I will put all that in the show notes, Dr. Centron, because okay. you do have a lot of information. <laughs> and it's overwhelming to a parent, especially if a, a parent listening now has a struggling child, there's a tier. And then there's an adult listening who is totally overlooked. And there are two tiers. You know, That's right. There is a tier in each eye then because that person can <laughs> identify just because... To, to not be validated is one of life's terrible things. I mean, it's mm -hmm. it's a kick in the gut to for someone not to say it for someone to say, we'll just get over it. You can learn. We'll try something different. But it's teaching them a different language. You know, the their language of reading is different than mine or maybe yours. One of the things I really urge the parents to do is look at the, your child's enthusiasm, what excites them. Um, my kids aren't dyslexic, but we recognize my son used to love playing with Legos. When he was a, an infant, he could watch the digger trucks and the cranes moving and watch construction. He loved it. Well, we thought he'd be a great engineer. He went to college and he struggled with calculus three. Imagine they don't even need that, but he had to take it. After five years of college, he quit and uh, was fortunately it was a state college. So he didn't have a lot of loans to pay off. And he's now a crane operator and he has a great career. He's outdoors, he loves it. And I share the story of my daughter who um, used to role play medical this and medical that. She used to watch these operation movies, hospital movies with my husband when she was in middle school. Scare the heck out of me because I thought we were turning her into this monster because she liked to watch surgeries and everything. Well, she got her nursing degree and she's working in neurotrauma at UCLA. So recognizing the small gifts or the interests that the children have. And I love to share this story, if I may, about uh, Jillian Lynn. She was a little wiggle bottom in the 1930s. <laughs> and her mother recognized that she wasn't learning to read and took her to the doctors. And the doctor said, okay, well, we're going to put her in a room. And, let, and he told Jillian, we'll be right back. I'm just going to talk to your mom. So he left the room, but he turned the music on in the room and Jillian began dancing and they watched her through the window and he told her mom, there's nothing wrong with your daughter. She just needs to be moving. She's a dancer. So Jillian went on to learn dance and she was the lead uh, dancer for Snow White with the Royal Opera House. And then she became a choreographer, and then in her 50s, she was approached by uh, by two directors to choreograph Cats and Phantom of the Opera. And that gives me chills to think of the legacy she's given us because her mother cared, recognized, you know, there was something different, got it, you know, got it discovered, and in, er, encouraged her in her area of strength. And we, she passed away in two, 2018. 
But what a legacy she gave well, us. Yeah, you said chills. I really have a lump in my throat. Like I could cry. I know, right? Just because somebody listened and watched and, oh, listen to me. I mean, it's just- I know, right? As a parent, yeah. And my three children all have three different vocational interests that are so unique to them. And one is an engineer and one did watch the crane diggers and all that. Uh-huh. He loved all that. So, But he was also the one, I knew that there was something different about him as he learned- because I homeschooled my children for 15 years. So I was there, especially in those early years. Yes. But when he would draw the picture of the house, you you know, every homeschool parent, every parent says, draw a picture of the house, you know, stay uh-huh. busy. Uh-huh. And when he drew it, my daughters did the facade. They did the smokestack and the windows, you know. He did the floor plan. He did the floor plan of the neighborhood pool wow. because he saw things, he was five. He mm-hmm. saw things differently than we did because it wasn't just superficial or yes. the outside. He was like, but I, I, he saw the way things operated. And I knew this. Yes. And so I wasn't surprised, you know, and, and again, and he's the one that also had some learning difficulties. And that's now I'm seeing that's common. He probably was under that. He also, both two of mine had auditory processing, which is pretty common then for an engineer probably. But again, as a parent, I remember thinking there's something different. And then he did Cal one, two, three differential equations. Wasn't Mm. easy though. (laughs) That's a very tough one. So I I love that. It's seeing every child is so unique and it may not be what you choose for your child. I hope it's not. That's right. I would have chosen the wrong path for all three of my kids. And I'm glad they listened to their heart and is right. who they are. That's right. So uh, we've got to wrap things up. You have valuable <laughs> uh, information. I love that you speak to the heart of a child, Dr. Cintron, just listening and each child being unique and whether it's dancing uh, when the doctors are in the other room or watching the crane digger, it's <laughs> it's seeing what your children have. And I think your yes. daughter's fabulous looking at all the neurotrauma surgery in an emergency room <laughs> setting at UCLA. Well, she's all covered up, right? I know she is. I know she is. So thank you so much for being here. All the information in the show notes on Dr. Cintron. This was fabulous. Thank you. Thank you so much, Lisa. Thanks for listening to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast. Be sure to hit subscribe and download all the episodes and leave a review, won't you? The Lisa Fisher Said Podcast is produced by ClantonCreative.com.